Welcome to another episode of Sound Digressions. Here we are again, talking about things. <laughs> it's fun to have been doing a podcast for such a long time now, over a year, coming up on two years actually. Is it two years already? My god. Anyway, it means I can revisit stories that I've already, co- I've already covered, covered, you know, do updates. And it just so happens that today, the great tennis player Novak Djokovic just won the Australian Open. <laughs> and I covered this last year when he was... Anyway, whatever. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about various chapters in the Predator movie archive. Alright, enjoy! As the great American prophet gone too soon, R.I.P. Tupac Shakur once said, Revenge is like the sweetest joy next to getting pussy. And thus it is with Novak Djokovic returning to Australia in 2023, exactly one year after having been kicked out of the country after attempting to enter Australia with a vaccine exemption on his visa, which was granted by the Australian government. When he arrived at the airport, they decided they did a surprising about-face and decided to deny him entry into the country. They became this whole big story. <laughs> no vax. Joe Covid was the talk of the town, the most hated man in sports, as though, as though he was the one who had granted himself the exemption and had attempted to barge his way into the Australian Open. Absolutely not the case. The complete opposite was true. Under Australian law, at the time, he was eligible to apply for an exemption because he had, you know, from the requirement, uh, the vaccine requirement, the COVID-19 vaccine requirements in the country, he was granted an exemption from having been vaccinated because he had had COVID recently. Again, he didn't issue an exemption on himself. He believed that he had been granted an exemption by the Australian government and thus was attempting to legally enter the country to play in the 2022 Australian Open. He was vilified. The anti-vax sentiment at the time was through the roof. Everybody's kind of forgotten about it now. A year on, most of the countries in the world have lifted visa uh, vaccination uh, requirements to enter and thus <laughs> still not vaccinated as far as I know still not vaccinated Novak 
Djokovic has returned to Australia and exacted his revenge. Now, now, now. <laughs> he has not, as far as I know, called his return a sort of revenge. He's called it one of the toughest victories of his life. It seems like he had a hamstring injury that was dogging him at the beginning of the tournament, but he managed to power through it and just got stronger and stronger and stronger. In the last two weeks, he didn't lose a single set, uh, winning every match in straight sets, including the final against the Greek Sisipas, winning his world record tying, tying with Rafael Nadal, who happened to win the Australian Open last year, 22nd Grand Slam men's singles title. He is back on top of the tennis rankings. Number one, again, he holds the record already. He held the record already for most weeks at number one. And here's he, he is adding some more weeks to that record. <laughs> I was curious, you know, how, how <laughs> it's triumphant return would be would be talked about or how i guess how his the the revocation of his visa last year would be talked about in light of his recent win at the australian open so i looked i just looked at a couple of i mean i'm sure i could find a lot more articles on this but i thought this you know searching for a couple would be enough so I looked at the CBC sports page and I found this illustrative paragraph uh, explaining the reason why he didn't play last year. And I quote, this trip to Australia was far more successful than, a f than that of a year ago when he was deported from the country because he was not vaccinated against COVID-19. Uh, end quote. So all they say is that he was deported because he was not vaccinated. They don't they, they like completely ignore the fact that he was granted a visa exemption, which was removed at the last minute due to uh, everybody assumes it was simply because the Australian government at the time, which had had fairly restrictive uh, COVID measures on, saw it as a bad PR move to let an unvaccinated uh, person enter the country. And I feel like there was not enough, not, not enough discussion in mainstream media, uh, not enough critique of the Australian government for pulling this move because it was strictly PR. Uh, by that time already, uh, I mean, like the reason why the Australian government has set up this Exemption, vaccination exemption, uh, possibility, again, is not Djokovic who set this up. The Australian government set it up. The reason they had set it up is because at that time, by that time, it was already pretty clear that having previously been infected with uh, SARS-CoV-2 provided about, about as much uh, protection from future infections as having been vaccinated so <laughs> but 
But the articles completely ignore this. They, you know, they just celebrate his triumphant return and completely ignored the, all, the, all the fuckery that happened around last year. The Guardian does a similar thing. Uh, I quote, A year ago, Djokovic was deported from Australia on the eve of the tournament after attempting to enter Australia with an exemption from COVID vaccination. Uh, end quote. And that's a little bit better. Because it's true, he was trying to enter with an Australian, uh, enter Australia with an exemption from COVID vaccination. But again, they ignore the fact that it, there was this like sudden about face at the at the kiosk at the immigration kiosk, right? There is there was a transcript released of uh, Djokovic's interaction with the immigration office officer, uh, you know, arriving at the airport. And he's very cordial, he's polite, you know, he's very, uh, he's not aggressive in any way. He just wants to know what's, he was just trying very hard to figure out what's going on and attempting to call his lawyers. Like, he he's not, like, personally handling this thing, you know, the guy, um, the guy has lawyers, the guy has people handling all this paperwork for him. Uh, his reported earnings, according to Wikipedia, is around $162 million to date. So yeah, it's somebody who can afford <laughs> and apparently thus employ lawyers to handle all the stuff for him. And thus when he arrived there and was suddenly, uh, and, so and suddenly discovered that he was not going to be, not going to be permitted to enter the country to play at the Australian Open in 2022, he was very shocked and uh, disoriented, as, as any of us would be. Um, anyway, all those COVID restrictions have, have now been lifted, and, <laughs> and Novak Djokovic returned to Australia, won the tournament yet again for the 10th time he's won this Grand Slam. He's the only person to ever have done this. The only person to have that many wins at a single Grand Slam is his career rival, Rafael Nadal, who's got, I believe, 14 wins at the French Open. Now, you probably listen to these and thinking that I know a lot about tennis or that I follow tennis. I don't. I really, really don't. <laughs> I, I just... You know, the story was fascinating last year. Uh, the, the whole vilification of Novak Djokovic was so utterly absurd to me. And I did an episode on it. You can, you can find it on Sound Digressions uh, catalog. I can't remember what the number of the episode is, but it's, uh, about almost exactly a year ago, uh, that this happened a year and four weeks ago. What I noted last year when I talked about it too is that there was a Czech woman player who had been allowed into Australia with the same vaccination exemption. She had arrived a week before Djokovic attempted to enter Australia. She had been allowed to enter, had played some pre-tournament games, and then once Djokovic was kicked out, she was also kicked out. Again, it was strictly, strictly a PR move. I, the Australian government suddenly decided that they needed to, to kick out anyone, 
regardless of the consequences, regardless of the fact that they had themselves set up this exemption uh, to kick out anyone who was not vaccinated from the country. Yeah. I mean, like the, the foolishness around international travel restrictions has not ceased. Um, recently, <laughs> most of uh, the testing requirements and vaccination requirements around the world have been lifted uh, and they're only reintroduced for political reasons. So recently, Chinese citizens traveling abroad are all of a sudden required to have proof of a recent negative COVID test again. But not from anywhere else, right? It's like this idiocy that imagines that because China is having a particularly bad time right now with infections of SARS-CoV-2, like they're, they're <laughs> many governments, including Canada's, is treating it as though they're the only ones having a rough time with it, as though we haven't experienced, we didn't experience five fucking waves uh, <laughs> of SARS-CoV-2 here, 2022, de deadliest year in Canada from the pandemic. Right? So anyway, the foolishness continues. And it wasn't at the Australian Open, the foolishness was not only on the men's single side, it was also visible in on the women's single side, where Belarusian player Arina Sabalenka won the tournament for the first time in her career. She was banned from Wimbledon, I believe, last year when they banned all Russian and Belarusian players. And for this tournament, uh, <laughs> and you can see this on Wikipedia too, they, they banned the Russian and Belarusian flags from appearing next to the players' names. Most players, when, you know, on the TV or whatever, whatever advertising is done for for the tournament you know they have a little flag next to their name saying which country they're from and at the press conference afterwards they asked her how she felt about it about not being able to have the belarusian flag appear on the trophy or or in any of the press and whatever and she's like and she she really was nonchalant about it she's like does anybody here not know that i'm belarusian Pointing out the rightly, I think, the, the ridiculous, na ridiculous nature of this ban. I did a, I did a, I did a small poll, a small. I did a a poll on my personal Instagram, not sound aggressions Instagram, which I very rarely use these days. Maybe I should get more active on it. I don't know. Whatever. Um, I did a small poll asking people whether they, I should do another episode on SARS-CoV-2 or pick any other random subject. And <laughs> the overwhelming, uh, <laughs> not consensus, but the majority of the vote was, um, was that I should talk about something else, something other than COVID. I managed with this story about Joykovic and the Australian Open 
and Sabalenka, I guess I, well, Sabalenka not so much, but with with Djokovic, definitely I've talked about COVID a little bit, and I guess for the moment I'll I'll leave it at that. Recently, because they had a bit of a promotion, I sign up for a subscription to Mubi, M-U-B-I, which is like a film streaming, kind of like independent, mostly independent film uh, streaming website. All the films, you know, kind of art house films, very, very slow. Even the action movies are super slow on it. Um, and, you know, with the intent, I was like, I'm going to, I stopped watching movies recently a lot, so maybe I'll sign up for the subscription and I'll watch some interesting films. And, well, the the results have been mixed. I've watched some interesting things. Nothing... <laughs> I've started watching a lot of films, but I haven't finished. I don't think I've... Ex- with the exception of like a 15-minute short, I don't think I've... In the last two weeks, I've actually finished watching a single movie film. I intend to, though. I intend to. What I have watched instead is various uh, iterations of various... <laughs> I've watched a few movies with predators. The predators being the alien species uh, first introduced to the world in the 1980s action movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Predator. So I watched Predator 2, and I watched Alien vs. Predator. I, uh, I almost finished watching Alien vs. Predator. I didn't watch the whole thing. I don't know how it ends. And I watched the the other, the more, more recent uh, chapter in this, uh, in this, in the series, the much praised Prey from, that was just, just released last year. And, well, Let's talk about him a bit. I mean, like I've, I always held a soft spot for the original Predator movie, which also had Carl Weathers um, and Jesse Ventura as part of the, the cast. For those of you who do not know, it is about a team of command, American commandos sent on a secret mission. I don't even remember what the mission was rescuing some POWs into the jungle in Central America. They don't say which Central American country, but jungle in Central America. And they're tasked with rescuing POWs, and they happen to run into the predator who kills them off one by one. There was a certain unintentional critique of masculinity embedded into the film you have to i feel like it's not that hard to see it but i don't know i do not suspect that it was intentional and basically the critique is that they the soldiers learn fairly early on fairly quickly that if you're not holding a weapon the the predator will not attack you if you do not present a threat, the predator will not attack you. So, 
there's when when the one female character in the film appears, all these heroic dudes go extremely out of their way to protect her by making sure that she is at no time holding a weapon. Yet, <laughs> at no moment during the film do they stop and consider dropping their own weapons. <laughs> this happens over and over in the film. <laughs> they, anytime she tries to help the team by grabbing a machine gun or whatever, they swat it away from her. It's like, no, we got to save the lady. Um, right. <laughs> Predator 2 has a whole different cast. It's set in, in the middle of... It's, the film was released in 1990. It's set in the middle of gang-riddled, gang-violence-riddled L.A., I think the film starts with like a 20-minute uh, shootout uh, where the cops are trying to I, I interrupt a, gun, a, a drug deal come bad or something. I can't remember. Uh, it's, it's not entirely clear, but there, there's a lot of mafiosos uh, hanging out and having a big shootout with the cops, and there's lots of explosions all around, and the alien happens to drop in into this. There's Maria Conchita Alonso, Mexican actress. Uh, she's in it as well, which is kind of a surprise. I think it was one of the few American films she made. Um, but the, the main star is Danny Glover, who, you know, was probably, probably rose to fame first from the Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, as far as I know. I don't know much of his earlier career. Uh, hipsters will know him from the Royal Tenenbaums, of course. <laughs> uh, he also, had the, Danny Glover does a lot of charity work around the world. He's like a peace activist. Uh, he's a pretty respectable person uh, and does very little acting these days, but uh, yeah, seems to focus on his humanitarian work. Predator 2 um, introduces us to something that's more familiar I guess from movies in the 90s, the, the <laughs> Danny Glover plays a hot-headed cop with a giant gun who, who is, um, you know, who first learns, learns about the Predator and is trying to fight it against it, you know, to catch it and whatever. But he is also pitted against um, Gary Busey, who represents the federal government. Now, this was a common trope in many films at the time, in many TV shows as well, where like the little local team knows better than the feds. The feds are kind of like the, you know, the predator is the bad guy, but the feds are like the primary antagonist to the heroes getting the bad guy. Common trope. Federal agencies, bad. Um, but... 
except for like this minor cultural representation of like the cultural zeitgeist at the time and or uh, <laughs> uh everybody remembers reagan's famous ronald reagan's famous quote you know that the scariest words in the english language were something like i'm paraphrasing here i'm from the government and i'm here to help um <laughs> so <laughs> Cinema at the time and film, film and TV at the time had taken on, you know, representing this in, in many ways by uh, positing quite frequently the feds, whether that be the FBI or the CIA, as kind of like this high tech, incompetent, cumbersome agencies that interfered with the on-the-ground, gritty, honest work done by the local cops. In this case, represented by Daniel Glover. Um, anyway, as much of... <laughs> um, clearly, it's all a fucking fantasy, but, you know, that, that was kind of like the, the, the common presentation that, that local cops versus feds relationship got. I also watched... Alien versus Predator. I watched Alien 4 recently, but I won't talk about that, even though it's it's quite an interesting film as well in its own right. Lots of people dismiss it as probably like the weakest of the first four Alien movies, but I think it holds its own. Um, I think it's a lot more interesting, or it does, it does, you know, about as much work as probably Alien 2. Um, anyway, but yeah, whatever. I'll save all that for another day. I watched Aliens vs. Predator. I could not finish it. It was kind of shit. Really boring as fuck. Uh, I wasn't that interested. Maybe I was just sleepy when I tried to watch it. I don't remember. But... It, it's not... <laughs> I don't even feel like describing the plot of this one. It's it's so silly. Uh, but it, it, anyway, it's where the Predator and Alien worlds collide... And basically, there's this ancient pyramid buried deep in Antarctica. And these scientists find out about it. And they happen to find out about it just at the time when the predators are returning to this underground pyramid. Because, I don't know, I guess they have like a cyclical ritual. Every however many millennia, they come and they hunt aliens, which are cryogenically frozen, I guess, in at the bottom was this pyramid. And <laughs> uh, some human sacrifice is brought so that the aliens can the alien the little face suckers can infect humans and then aliens develop blah 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 blah. Uh it's bad. It's hilarious. Um but I think it is kind of overlooked as uh well in comparison to prey the the much more recent iteration of the predator uh franchise in which uh you have a comanche uh tribe encounter the aliens and the alien is well spoiler alert spoiler alert i'm going to give away the plot here but I feel like the plot's the same in every movie. 
the alien, the predator, uh, gets bested by the humans. That is the plot of absolutely every single one of these movies. <laughs> There's one wily human in every single one of them that bests the predator, the high-tech predator. And in Prey, it happens to be this young Comanche woman hunter. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the movie receives a lot of praise for having a, a woman as the lead hero of the film. It, I, it's a fun film to watch, I guess. Uh, the funnest part being watching French settlers get killed by the predator. Um, but I was going, going back to what I was trying to say. Alien versus Predator also has a woman hero in the lead. I, I think I, <laughs> I missed, I probably have only like 20 minutes left of the movie to watch. But at the point where I left off, uh, the lady, the expedition expert that was leading the team uh, down to the underground pyramid, she was, um, she had just made friends with the predator. And the predator had just made her a shield and a spear so that she could go hunting with him. They're hunting for aliens. And he made her shield out of a dead alien's head and her spear out of a dead alien's tail. <laughs> so I'm assuming she wins at the end. I, I Like I said, I didn't watch the last 20 minutes of it, but I'm assuming she wins. Much like our hero in Prey. I feel like Prey is really very much... It, it's well executed, but it's not anything out of the ordinary in terms of action movies. I don't know. It, it was interesting. It was interesting that they... You know, it, it, it really is like a prequel um, to the rest of the... Predator franchise because it's set in 1719 in the Northern Great Plains in the United States. There's a lot of indigenous actors in it, which is cool. Um, yeah, in terms of like representation, I guess, uh, of, of the First Nations communities in North America, it's great. But in terms of an action movie, it's just like, it's pretty stock and trade. Um, anyway, and I feel like these films with a woman lead often get a lot of praise for this, even though there's there's still not enough film. You know, there's no like perfect balance between male and female leads for sure, but they they are not. Um, what am I trying to say? <laughs> I just feel like many of these films are not doing anything particularly innovative or new uh, with these characters. Uh, but that's not to say that they're not cool characters. They're still cool characters, but it's just like, as a film, as like 
conventional film, convention, you know, they follow pretty conventional storylines. Like I said, every single Predator movie, it's about some wily human, some really clever human besting the, the Predator, and this one is no different. Anyway, yeah, if you have, if you, <laughs> clearly, clearly, I like watching action movies. <laughs> I love watching this kind of like numb, um, dumb, dramas you know with lots of shooting and killings and whatever yeah <laughs> and as far as those go this is like a relatively good version uh, of the genre good representation of the genre <laughs> uh, alien versus predator is terrible it really is and predator 2 is worth watching i guess just because it's very quick. It's very short. I think it's only an hour and a half. It's one of the shorter, uh, shorter iterations of these movies, but, uh, which I think it's like, that's a good length for an action movie. An hour and a half. No more than that. Don't make this three hour, um, Marvel comic universe, whatever. Marvel cinematic universe, three hour films. Not necessary at all. It's funny because even like the, the, the setup of, having the primary enemy, the predator, your heroes, the Comanches, and your kind of secondary enemies, the the French um invaders, the colonialists coming coming down the line. Um I anyway that I, I, <laughs> I feel like they could have done a little bit more with the French colonial colonialists. They do like show them butchering buffalo and like just leaving the carcasses to rot and whatnot. I, I feel like the critique could have gone a little bit harder on them in some in some ways. That would have been fun. Uh, make the f- yeah, make them put a bit of more focus on the atrocities uh, that they were bringing over. You know, because there is this uh, interesting kind of uh, the advancement of the colonizers, the appearance of the predator. And the Comanches not really being fully aware of what either of those two things mean and kind of like finding out slowly throughout the film. The, the, the French, uh, colonizers are particularly funny. Their, their French is really, <laughs> it's like the, I described it to a friend. It's as though all these actors took a few French classes back in high school. 20 years ago and they've only been asked now to reutilize those skills <laughs> it was really bad french but great for being so terrible um but anyway i was saying like the structure of having like a, a primary antagonist and a secondary antagonist against our heroes it, it, it's very much the structure of old uh, predator films uh, including the first one, because they're fighting, you know, they're fighting the, the whatever the gorillas are in the jungle. Um, and then the second one, you have the feds and you have all the, all the gangsters, um, you know, getting in the way of our heroic cops. Anyway, I think, that <laughs> I think that's all I'll say about 
in the Predator films. Uh, I'm still waiting tonight. Um, the uh, Tara Moriarty uh, on Twitter does like um, a COVID update weekly, a COVID radar to like to show you how you know what the what the risk level is in your province. And I guess she got a little bit sick this week, so it's just a little bit behind on it. But uh, maybe I'll post a link to that too. Uh, even though the episode didn't cover SARS-CoV-2, I'll, I'll put a little bit, you know, a useful community resource. She's not associated with any government. She's a researcher uh, who's been working on this uh, since the pandemic started and has been posting public information, assessing data, uh, looking at the statistics, looking at the mortality rates in Canada, and trying to glean from the available information precisely what the situation is uh in canada anyway i'll leave it at that uh <laughs> i'll let you know you know what i feel like this i'll let you know if i watch any other films if i watch something that is actually on movie i think th- i started watching something interesting the other day and i think i'll finish it maybe tonight maybe i'll give you a review of that and maybe people like having a break for me talking about the news and shit and shit and the shit that's going around and that's going around the world the shit that's going down oh yeah i didn't talk i didn't (laughs) i uh, yeah i avoided talking about all the tanks that are being sent to ukraine by i believe about 12 different nato countries that are that are anyway whatever okay i'll stop now I'll, i'll leave it at that i'll talk to you later bye